to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. I certainly hope... I hope you had a great weekend. I spent mine being fancy, attending President Biden's first White House state dinner. I mean, just look at the beautiful Evie McGee Colbert and... And her, and her doughy plus one. She cleans up real nice. It was a great night. The White House is lovely. Christmas decorations were beautiful. And the whole shebang was thrown in honor of French President Emmanuel Macron, seen here making his glass of champagne blush. Good-looking fella. The stereotype... Here's the thing. The stereotype is that French men are suave and charming, and Emmanuel Macron does nothing to fight that stereotype. When I met him, this is true, he leaned in and said, Argenté. <laughs> and ooh la la, my baguette was butter. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> when Evie... When Evie met him, when Evie met him, uh, he gave her hand one of those sort of like half uh, kiss, half nods like that. And she responded with a traditional American greeting, a full body chest bump while yelling, get her done. <laughs> Thank you for representing our country, my darling. <laughs> really, one of the highlights of the evening was a fantastic performance by our friend John Baptiste. We were there. <laughs> we, were on the, we were on the edge of our seats listening to his music, hoping his jacket wouldn't catch fire. <laughs> it was, so it was a lovely evening. Joe, you were there playing the drums. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Wasn't that an amazing evening? Yeah. Dude, what an honor. Absolute honor to be there. It was lovely. I want to thank President Biden and the First Lady for having us. Uh, my only regret was that I missed Nancy Pelosi's daughter, Alexandra Pelosi, asking Joe Biden what foods the U.S. is best known for, our cuisine. Because apparently, the president replied, hot dogs, ice cream, and spaghetti. <laughs> Look. People like to talk about how old he is, and he is. <laughs> but they never give him credit for having the palate of a four-year-old. <laughs> I hope he does. I certainly hope Joe is in control of the menu for the next state dinner. Uh, tonight, we have dinosaur nuggets on a bed of cheddar goldfish, <laughs> followed by strawberry gober... <laughs> fine. You get the idea. You get the idea. Best part of the night was when I hit the dance floor and busted a move with White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. And wow. you saw that. You saw that, Joe. I was clearly the best dancer on the floor all night. Right, Corrine? I don't want to don't wanna comment on it. <laughs> now, I don't want to claim to be a political power broker, but I will point out that the same day I partied with Joe Biden, he asked the DNC to make South Carolina the nation's first primary state. So... I go to the White House, and suddenly Joe Biden wants to put my home state first. You do the math. Okay? Hey. Thank you, Right here. Because I am not good at math. Because I went to school in South Carolina. <laughs> of course, moving... <laughs> Moving the first Democratic primary contest to South Carolina is a big blow to Iowa, which has been first in nominating a process for the president for over half a century. And what was the reason all politicians agreed to start in Iowa? It's cold. Uh, thank you. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. 
Thank you, Secretary Cornkid. But <laughs> Democrats say that moving South Carolina ahead of Iowa will involve more minority voters, given that Iowa is the country's seventh whitest state. Still, this change will be hard on Iowa's minority population, Frank. <laughs> he seems surprisingly happy about it. That's... Speculation is South Carolina helped Biden clinch the nomination in 2020, so this move makes it abundantly clear that he intends to run for re-election in 2024. Well... Some of the audience is excited about that. <laughs> At this point, he'll be 81, so maybe not so much a run as a very confident shuffle. <laughs> again. Again, thank you for dinner. Speaking of presidents, the old bad one is still out there. He threw a hissy fit this weekend, once again whining that the 2020 election was stolen from him. But this time, he added a new wrinkle, quote, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. <laughs> you dummy. You can't terminate the Constitution. The Constitution is America. <laughs> for Pete's sake. Mon Dieu. You don't see Macron running for president of France on a platform of outlawing threesomes. <laughs> I believe that is their constitution. So, <laughs> why is the former president calling for the termination of the constitution? Well, it's a long, stupid story. <laughs> and there's a penis at the end of it. <laughs> Come with me, won't you? It all started with Twitter CEO and rejected village person Elon Musk. <laughs> for weeks... Musk has been hyping an internal Twitter report that supposedly exposed liberal bias at the social media company during the 2020 election. Now, Musk gave the report to journalist Matt Taibbi, who on Friday posted a Twitter thread showing Twitter executives debating how to handle tweets concerning a discovered laptop belonging to Hunter Biden. Again, with the Hunter Biden laptop. Give it a rest. You don't hear anyone obsessing over the former president's son's laptop? And Eric's got a good one. It's made by Fisher Price, and it can tell you what sound a cow makes. Very accurate. <laughs> the cow says, I'll turn state's evidence. Everybody's talking is what I'm saying. <laughs> the hot, juicy scandal nugget, supposedly at the center of this supposed takedown, was this exchange between Twitter employees. One relayed a request from the Biden team to review five tweets, and the other employee replied, handled these. Oh, dang. Handled, as with hands, scandal hands, scandal handles. <laughs> so it was in those tweets that Joe Biden was so desperate to have handled Hunter Biden's penis pictures. Elon was all over it. He replied directly to the penis cover-up tweet with, if this isn't a violation of the Constitution's First Amendment, what is? I want to tell you what is, Elon. And if the government stops me from telling you what is, that would be a violation of the First Amendment. This is not. This is just not putting the junk. The junk. Bang! No. Even the usual Hunter Biden laptop enthusiasts were yawning, including 
former aide to the ex-president and evil twin of Sebastian Gorka, Sebastian Gorka. In response to Elon's supposed bombshell, Gorka tweeted, So far, I'm deeply underwhelmed. Adding, Big WAP. He's so underwhelmed, he couldn't even manage a full whoop. <laughs> Former president is not the only one spreading hate on the internet. There's also disgraced shoe salesman Ye, <laughs> seen here pointing at the problem. <laughs> Ye. Ye has been on a bit of a not-so-beautiful, dark-twisted, anti-Semitic fantasy tour, culminating on Thursday when he tweeted an image of a swastika inside the Star of David and was suspended from Twitter. But he's still welcome on the pro-Nazi social media platform, Twitler. <laughs> on the same day he was kicked off Twitter a second time, Kanye went on the Alex Jones hate fest wearing a black mask, and he had a strange disagreement with Alex. I'm just saying, I don't like Nazis, and I don't like what some of the mafias are doing either. I like Hitler. Wow. That is upsetting, and it's got to be the worst career-ending segue into a commercial break ever. <laughs> Reminds me of Cronkite's famous sign-off. And that's the way it is. I kill drifters for fun. And now a word from Smucker's Jelly. We got a great show for you tonight. Coming up... John David Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest is an actor you know from Ballers, Black Klansman, and Tenet. He now stars as Boy Willie in The Piano Lesson on Broadway. Please welcome to The Late Show, John David Washington. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Now, currently, currently making your Broadway debut in August Wilson's The Piano Lesson. There's a playbill from opening right, right there. Okay, that's an, ex that's an extraordinary experience. When you go to work, your work is at a Broadway theater, do you, when you go to the Barrymore Theater, does it sink in? I mean, you already have an, a, sort of a well-established career, but what's it like to be on Broadway, to be headlining something like that? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous blessing. It, um, it feels like I'm in the big leagues. You know, like, every time I'm going in there, I'm a part of history. The Barrymore history, yeah. August Wilson history, um, the man who originated the role I'm playing, uh, Sam Jackson, you know, his history, you yeah. know? Yeah. So and Sharing the stage. Sharing, sharing the stage, the stage with, with, with him. With Sam Jackson is... Um, wow. So I just... Uh, I, you know, so a lot of pressure, obviously, too, but uh, I feel welcomed and I feel like I belong. Well, um, the play is two hours and 20 minutes long, and your character, Boy Willie, talks for almost the entire thing. You know, it's like King Lear. How do you memorize that much material? Um, I have no idea. To be honest. I mean, just, you know, repetition. It is a little miraculous it's, it's, to be able to grab that much stuff and hold it in your head. It's, 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 it's a tall task, but it's really about setting my intentions, knowing why I'm saying these words and knowing who I'm saying them to. You know, and once I understand... When I, once I got to understand... Um, the plight of this character and, and understanding the, the Jim Crow South, which he's, which he's from, and understanding the history of our people and the history of the Charles family, his family, it makes the words come to life. And uh, you realize that uh, how great these words that August Wilson wrote are when you understand your mission behind these words. The, the better the writing, the easier it is to memorize, is, is what I have found. Uh, 
No. <laughs> I don't know. No, no? Sometimes, sometimes bad writing, you can cover up with an ad-lib here and a, yeah, yo, there, but not with this. This is like Shakespeare. You know, you can't ad-lib, you can't add stuff. You gotta say the words and use the words, and when you respect the words, they work for you. The part of, of Boy Will, as you were saying, was originated by Samuel Jackson in 1987. Now he's your co-star. When you're on stage, I mean, I'm certainly not when you're in the midst of performance, but there were any time in the process of making this and the rehearsal process, we thought, I wonder what he would have done in this moment. Or did you feel any pressure because he was right there? All kinds of pressure. Uh, yeah, somewhat like, I wonder what he would have done in this moment. Another, like, I hope I'm not disappointing him. He's looking at me crazy right now. That, is, am I messing up? Is, is he in character? Yeah, or is, or is this Sam Jackson? like, you mother... You know. <laughs> so, uh, a tremendous amount of pressure. But also, I feel so much support from him. You know, he's been very gracious and, and so helpful and influential in my development in my own way for the uh, character. Well, he thinks the world of your performance, and I don't know whether you saw him when he was on this show back in September, uh, um, but he talked about how he wasn't really allowed to talk to you uh, about this. Because, of course, uh -huh. his, his wife is the director. Absolutely. She and, the show. And, and this is what he said about your performance. So the audience is really like, oh, my God. You know, they're like, they love him so much because they believe what he wants and what he's doing. And I believe it. And I'm moved by it. And I'm sitting there just like, this is a great play to do every night. I'm sitting there enjoying the play and, you know, hoping that it's like, oh, oh. Oh, no, did I miss my line? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. He's a, he's a tough critic. You know, yes. he's, he's, uh, he, he's very uh, hard to please. So I feel that, I mean, that's great. That's very moving that he said that. And, I, you know, it's interesting. I feel supported every time we do that play. Like, the way he looks at me in character, like, it feels like he's a proud uncle. He and Potts, Michael Potts, who's playing my other uncle, mm -hmm. Wining Boy, I just feel such a, such a comfort and support from them because also they were hazing me and during the uh, the rehearsal process. I had these banana chips once. He's like, well, really don't eat no banana chips 1936. What is that? You better get some pork rinds. I'm like, man. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, pork rinds. You right, though. You right. You right. So, uh, you know, but he's headed the game. Oh, boy, Willie's thinking ahead. They go, you know, so, mm -hmm. yeah, he's just little, little stories like that uh, that I appreciate. Yeah. Well, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more John David Washington, everybody. Stick around. at the Barrymore Theater on Broadway, John David Washington. The piano lesson is uh, about a family's uh, prized family heirloom, the piano, yes. piano yeah. itself. Do your parents, your parents, Denzel and Paul out of Washington, um, does the Washington family have any prized heirlooms? Any things that they hold on to? Well, um, I mean, they, they've definitely passed on the art of prayer and, uh, you know, spirituality. Mm. And I, I certainly insert it in every aspect of my life. And, and something also is this, my, my uncle's chain. This is my, my um, so my brother's, my mother's brother. Uh, and she got, when he passed away, and he, she got it and she gave it to me. And it's actually, I'm wearing that chain on the front of the playbill. Yeah, so um, it's right there. Yeah, it's a little piece of it right there. So, the, so it's always a reminder that he's always with me and something that I can just hold on to. And, you know, it's just it's something very deep close to my heart. Do you, when you, when you say, like, uh, the, your, your, your prayer, your, your prayer practice, 
Do you have a favorite prayer you go back to, or is it always sort of improvisational when you go in? <laughs> uh, I got some some go to since I was like eight years old. God bless mom, dad, Rita, Rick, Nikki, Olivia, Malcolm. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, nothing wrong with that, yeah, right? I mean, I, I go. Those are some of my strong go tos. And other times I'm like, yo, you know what it is. I need you. Appreciate it. <laughs> I just need you. You know, you know what time to. <laughs> you know, it's like, why are we taking the time? Why are you taking the time to lay out all your problems? He knows. He knows. He knows. He like, knows. you know, you know what it is. I'm, yes. You know, so please. Help me well, out. your family's no stranger to the stage. Did, you, did your folks give you any advice before <laughs> you did Broadway for the first time? <laughs> yes. My mom actually, she's seen it about 20, I want to say 29 times, including last night. Oh, that's a Had mom. notes for me still. You know, she took me to dinner. I'm thinking I'm doing great. Like, so, thoughts. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, this is, you know, we're these in December. Are no, these are in no particular order. Yeah, exactly. No, it's literally, though, she I'm said that. Upstaging Samuel. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The jump, just make it higher. But no, um, mm. but no, but just, you know, just great, great, uh, yeah, they're great supporting, supportive at parents. My father talks about owning your space and just, you know, believing what you're saying. My mother the same way. Oh, I love that, owning the space. Owning what, do you, the what, space. What, what does that mean for you? Well, just, you know, standing strong and not being afraid to stay still and deliver the lines at times, and then don't be afraid to move, turn and talk to your partner at times. Finding your power spots on stage, you know, that feel... Um, the most comfortable and, and natural for the character to be in while delivering a certain part of the, uh, the, the monologue or the conversation. Where's your power spot? <laughs> I can't tell you that. I guess you gotta... <laughs> That gives away the family secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. I'm trying to manipulate to get this piano for the character, so I can't yeah. give away my power spots. Well, the funny thing is, is that when I, the reason I ask is that when I first started this job, it was before we run. I was first announced that I was going to take over for Dave. Mm. We came in early on a Saturday morning. Remember Tom? Because we didn't want to bother anybody here getting in their stuff. So huh. we came in at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so we wouldn't bother anybody just to see because we knew the theater would be transformed. Uh-huh. And I was wondering where I would want to stand on stage to do the monologue. Uh, so I walked around various places and I said, hey, could you move this pile of boxes that was here? I want to stand right up and see what that feels like. Yeah. So they moved it and I stood there and I went, yeah, yeah, this feels right. This feels like where you would do it. And I looked down and between my feet was the red dot where Dave stood. No kidding. And I went, of course this right is where on. you would do the monologue. This yeah. is the only place that feels good. And it's hard to explain that feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I don't have anything that, that deep. I can't say, yes, yeah, Sam stood here when I, like, I got, I got that. But, yeah. but there is something to be said about knowing when it does feel truthful. You know, uh, I know the great Stephen Henderson, who's like a mentor to me, who's actually on Broadway right now as well, he told me, don't get it right, get it true. Mm. So instead of aiming your performance, try to be, you know, as truthful as possible. So sometimes there's certain positions and body positioning you have, posture, that uh, allows you to tell the best truth uh, of the character at the time, so um, you know, finding that, and it and it varies a lot of a different nights. It could be, it could be different. So uh, that's what's exciting about live theater. You know, just be open to that change and and being able to go with it. Well, John David, it was lovely to meet you. Thank uh, you for being here. For Thank you for listening to the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing: if you want to see more of me, come to the Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. 